Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Hello, and welcome to Here's Where It Went Wrong, where every week we ask one of our favorite comedians to pick one of their favorite topics and then trace its history to find out exactly what ruined it. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Andrew Nadeau. Andrew, what are we talking about this week? Well, this week we'll be going through the history of Spider-Man, from its inception by Stan Lee attempting to create a relatable teenage superhero, to a massive movie franchise where we all learned a guy named Toby could be surprisingly jacked, to an absolute disaster nobody could have predicted, but I feel like we all kind of should have predicted that uh, we'll dig into later in the show. Owen, you excited for this one? Oh, I'm so excited. And actually, we have on one of my favorite comedians. I met her when I first moved to Chicago. We worked for a few years together at Second City. Her work has been featured on The Onion. She is a writer and voice performer for our cartoon president and tuning out the news. One of my favorite people, Maureen Monahan. Maureen, how you doing? I'm doing so well, Gwen and Andrew. Thank you so much for having me on. It is absolutely our pleasure. Glad to have you on here. Maureen and me, uh, we used to play basketball in the second city. Like we had like a rec, like kind of basketball thing that we'd go to the park and we'd play like every Monday. Yeah. And it morphed into the improvisers basketball league. Yes. And one. (laughs) (laughs) I always feel very brave to admit uh, I was a part of and associated with because the name really causes a deep cringe in and everybody that I mentioned it to. But it was fun. We had a lot of fun basketball. It was it was very fun. I mean, it's a it's a suiting name because watching us play basketball, other than you, you were actually very good. I was bad. <laughs> no, 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 please. No, we were both amazing NBA level stars. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It would be very fun for like us to show up and then like other people would come and play who are clearly good at basketball. There's like one unemployed banker. Dustin. Yes, Dustin. Oh my God, I forgot about him. God, he would just show up and he would just smoke everyone. And then he'd just be like, be back next week. And we're like, you're the one who has a job here. Why are you (laughs) doing this? He was like so good natured. If I was as good at basketball as he was, I would have been like absolutely unable to hang out with us. Like it was embarrassing that he was so much better. I don't know how it was fun for him, but he was a very nice guy. We also, I remember, do you remember this had like some kids? stopped by one time and they were like watching us play probably ages like six to like I don't know maybe nine or ten and they were watching us and gave everybody nicknames I do remember this (laughs) because I was the only girl playing at the time everybody got like a nickname of like an NBA player 
or like, like someone was wearing like a Nike sweatshirt or something. It was like, oh, that's like Nike swoosh has the ball, blah, blah, blah. Uh, these kids were like being like commentators watching. And this like eight-year-old gave me the nickname of Little Lady. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, Little Lady's uh, 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 guarding, whatever. And I was like, Little Lady. And he was like, okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Big Lady, Big Lady. <laughs> I'm not sure that's better. Like, I feel like it should be, but it almost is worse. I guess it's more accurate yeah. for an <laughs> but still i didn't love it yeah comparatively like i wish we played them like they were better improvisers based on their commentary but i'm sure we would have been in basketball <laughs> purely based on height mm-hmm. yeah we'll go back to chicago we'll find them and we'll settle we'll settle it once and for all soon. sounds perfect now when we reached out to you you chose the topic uh so let's dive on in because today we're going to be talking about spider-man everybody andrew start us off with some some fun spidey facts so spider-man actually has a really fascinating history History because at the time, this kind of wasn't done. He appeared in The Amazing Fantasy number 15, and this is the last issue in the series. Stan Lee has created this character, and Marvel publisher Martin Goodman doesn't like it at all. In fact, he says it's the worst idea he's ever heard. And Lee originally approached Jack Kirby, who, you know, had, had created Captain America, but Kirby was used to drawing, like, these jacked superheroes. And this was supposed to be a departure from that. This was supposed to be a kid, a kid who wasn't like Robin and just a sidekick. He's actually the focus of the story here. In fact, Peter Parker in the original one is uh, described as a sickly orphan. <laughs> I'm just imagining like little orphan Annie. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like, if you Have you ever actually seen like a Jack Kirby comic though? Uh, the originals? Oh yeah. I mean, those like, it is insane how like they're all just made of squares. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. I hadn't seen, I'm looking now. That's Wow, everybody is really, yeah, very, very jacked. You know, it's supposed to be like this masculine ideal kind of thing. And and obviously Kirby did that fantastically well. But Stan Lee has kind of realized at this point in time, all of the readers are kind of teenage boys. Thankfully, that's grown out now to a much wider audience. But he said, why don't we need a superhero that is going to be relatable? So we're going to have a kid, a kid who's poor, a kid who's having more standard relationship issues uh, rather than like, oh, I just can't reveal my secret identity. It's no, she likes the other guy more. <laughs> this was a real departure. So so Lee gets this in an amazing fantasy number fifty. It's the last issue in the series, kind of with the thought of, look, it's it's ending. It was canceled. I guess we'll let you do it. And the fan response is absolutely huge, so much so that they've got to give it its own story. By next year, it has its own story. I'm going to interrupt because I just love the idea of, like, comics right now are just like, Bruce Wayne, he's a billionaire that fucks. And then there's <laughs> Superman. He's a handsome reporter who also fucks and like stan lee's over here just like well what if we did something about a sickly orphan <laughs> girls hate and gets beaten up on a regular basis Would that is that the escapist fantasy children like to read about and it turns out yes the spider bite makes him fuck yeah <laughs> <laughs> Just a super horny spider. Did not expect that part to carry over, but it did. And now it's part of the story. <laughs> I'm sure there's an adult film that does it. Oh, there has to be. Yeah, there has to be. There has to be just like, oh, now he has the horniness of a spider. <laughs> and it's, 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 I got, got to look it up now. It's like, wait, were spiders, were spiders horny? Was that a thing? I'm not going to type in our spiders horny into my Google search. I mean, the symbolism is there if you want to see it. Like, earns the ability to like shoot white goo out of his <laughs> it's there okay also it's not like spiders were mildly psychic in real life either it's we're going to take some liberties one of them is going to be super horny and but can't do anything about it and and mild psychic powers that we don't really explain yeah. just like he knows danger is coming in some way shape or form 
yeah, not enough to do anything about it most of the time. But like, oh man, this is gonna suck. So, <laughs> but despite this, he is actually this massive beloved character. So much so that he's appearing in crossovers, which are, are are a thing at the time, but they have him partnered with almost every major Marvel character. And it's so popular that it led to the bi-monthly title, The Marvel Team-Up in 1972, which ran for 150 issues, which is part of the origin of the popularity of a full Marvel universe. Obviously, what we know now is all about the crossover and the intermingling stories, and Spider-Man is largely responsible for this. Because of him, it's why like they were trying to be like, oh, we're going to make a crossover of Marvel! monster movies like it traces all the way back to them being like we're gonna put spider-man in a fantastic four comic and now like 50 years later we had to almost watch like johnny depp and javier bardem play the (laughs) man and frankenstein palling around that was a real franchise that almost happened was it really yes (laughs) tom cruise's mummy movie was so bad they canceled the whole thing but it was all cast and ready because everything has to be crossover movies now. You know what? They weren't going to top Abbott and Costello meet the mummy. Why try? Oh God, no classic. <laughs> so the uh, series is eventually replaced by the web of Spider-Man in 1985. And when you read these, right? I mean, you, you kind of grew up with these. So my dad had like a big box of comics. And so when I grew up, like I was going and I was reading like all of the black suit Spider-Man comics. I didn't go so far back as, as web of Spider-Man, but I, I am a huge Spider-Man fan. Grew up reading them, got into the big, like the ultimate stuff, which is like them trying to be like, it's newer, edgier Spider-Man. You know, we'll get into it later, but they fucking kill him. Like that's how edgy they got with these the, the new edgy Spider-Man. Like I am a I'm a big nerd is what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> oh yeah, I know Spider-Man got dark, especially with I mean I feel like we have to discuss the the spinoff where he gives Mary Jane cancer. Yes, that is that is an actual comic book. It's like an alternate future where his radioactive sperm gave her cancer and she fucking died and saying it is so dumb saying it is so dumb That's so sad it was so messed up it was so dumb and messed up like dr octopus in it is dead but his tentacles are still alive so there's just a skeleton being walked around by <laughs> giant tentacles like that's how dark and edgy they tried to make this future spider-man comic it's like a court that's being walked around by tentacles and they're also with the same one mary jane gets cancer from the sperm that's the same one it's the same book it's called spider-man rain if you ever want to look it up and it's like a dystopian future where he quits being spider-man after killing his wife with his (laughs) radioactive (laughs) semen which comics are so dumb it's insane that this exists especially because as when said they've already started making him darker but like he was this wholesome teenage hero and and this departure goes so extreme so fast so much so that like they can't this isn't something that they can try and retcon later it's got to be just an alternate universe we're gonna this is just a whole separate storyline because all we're gonna do is kill everybody when you first mentioned that they were gonna go dark i thought you meant like the biggest spider-man comic of all time which is Spider-Man before, like, Mary Jane. Mary Jane's the girlfriend everyone knows. But in the comics, dates a girl named Gwen Stacy who gets kidnapped and she's thrown off a bridge. And in trying to save her, he's like, oh, I'm just going to shoot a web and catch her. And he does that, but they actually incorporated physics in this one. (laughs) Or if you stop someone going 60 miles an hour and then you just have them stop, 
that will break someone's neck if he <laughs> kills her on accident. And that's one of the most like famous comics of all time is like a, a big turning point in like the whole comics culture, comic society. But you went straight to he accidentally jizzes his wife to death. Which is- <laughs> Which was a turn. So preventable. <laughs> like, there are condoms, guys. <laughs> we, we had options. <laughs> he didn't have to do it. I might have jumped the gun here. As Gwen said, we have more reasonable darkness with Gwen Stacy's death. So Gwen Stacy's death, one of the biggest events in comics in the 1990s. Uh, Todd McFarlane, who uh, everyone knows for Spawn and weird Wizard of Oz bondage-like stuff. Todd McFarlane's a weird guy. Yeah. But... <laughs> He took over Spider-Man and like gave him a cool redesign uh, that everyone loved. It, it just sold out. Like he's a great artist. He drew a bunch of different covers for all of his comics, and that became huge collectible items. It like it shot up the value of comics and collectibles, and it was a boom to the industry, and it was huge. So he becomes Marvel's flagship character it's like he's on the front of everything so when it comes time to make movies they are just like of course we got to make a spider-man movie it's it's a done deal so they make the 2002 toby Maguire spider-man and i'm gonna be honest i saw that movie like four times in theaters i collected the dr pepper cans with characters on them <laughs> can i make a confession i've seen that movie once and that was i think a month ago <laughs> I did not grow up with comic books, did not grow up with superhero movies. I'm a very, like, a newcomer to Spider-Man in general. So I saw, yeah, the Tobey Maguire, Tobey Maguire 1, uh, like a month ago. Tobey Maguire 2 for the first time, like, a week ago, like two weeks ago, maybe. I've seen uh, Into the Spider-Spideyverse, and I've seen the two Tom Holland ones. And that's it. That's it. That's your knowledge. (laughs) But I think I'm, like, starting to get it. Like, I feel like I'm, like, discovering him later in life. Like, I, I do, I understand the appeal where where there was a time uh, in my youth where I did not. Okay, so being new, like, having just watched these movies within a, a month, I'm, I, let's just focus on those first two, those first Tobey Maguire ones. I mean, what did you think? Well, my first thought is, Tobey Maguire, wow, what a little, like, kind of goober of a guy. Like, it's kind of like, right? <laughs> he's, like, so sad. Just, like, looking at him, he's, like, really sad and, like, so pale. And, like, he's just, like, <laughs> that was a good casting. I love Kirsten Dunst. She's great. Uh, her wig in the first one is pretty bad. It's so um, bad. <laughs> I rewatched all of these in quarantine recently, and every time I was just like, I still love it. I fucking love it. But yes, it is a ridiculous <laughs> film. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I kind of, but I like get the like lore. Like, I, I do, it's like there's such a fun kind of like urbanness to, to like the lore of Spider Man. It's not like the first thing I would compare it to is like Superman, where he's like fucking like dropped in a cornfield in like middle America and is like, you know, ultimate, like he later, like it becomes a city guy, but like, Spider-Man is like so like I don't know he he like discovers his power gets his powers at like a museum or some shit like I don't know that's just like very cool to me that he is like so such a city guy. It was a big part of his appeal too was was that his connection to New York was so massive that it was again as part of Stanley's vision where it's like no he's he's part of this town he's a kid here he's gonna have a connection to it and they did such a great job of bringing it into the comics and the films where it's like no New York is a part of this too now. Oh no like. Everyone else takes place in, like, fictional cities. Like, Gotham doesn't exist. Gotham is whatever you want it to be, depending on who's writing it. Right. Metropolis with Superman. 
Metropolis will have slums all of a sudden if like that's what the writer wants it to have. But with like Marvel and like in Spider-Man in particular, like he's hanging out in neighborhoods you can name and they have to play by the rules of like, this is what that neighborhood is because the readers will know. And that movie came out in 2002. So, you know, after 9-11 and everything, they had that whole scene where they're throwing trash at the Green Goblin and being like, you mess with Spider-Man, you mess with New York. Yeah, that's so sweet. Yeah. They went and reshot it. Like originally there was supposed to be like a big like thing between the two towers. Like that was like a bit, that was a teaser for that movie was like a getaway helicopter was flying and gets caught in a web that was between the two towers. And that was the teaser for like a Spider-Man movie is coming. So like that is how linked Spider-Man is to New York. That like they took out that scene, they they removed that teaser, they got rid of it in post-production, but they just had to add in all of this just like New York and Spider-Man, those are one and the same, and like we're a city that's together and healing. And like that was probably like one of those moments like in the theater that I was just like really emotional because I was like 10. So of course I'm emotional about a Spider-Man movie. And just like, you know, it, it did better than all the wars, I think, in making me like America after 9-11. <laughs> God, that's a good line. Wow. <laughs> that's, I want that tagline for Spider-Man. It'll love you make it'll make you love America more than war. <laughs> <laughs> And the first two movies do great, uh, as we discussed in the Blade episode, that, yeah, Blade was kind of the first one to introduce Marvel into this field, but Spider-Man helps introduce it as what it will come to be, where you've got kind of a template now, where the stories are going to be continuous, which is interesting because it's also one of the few Marvel movies that breaks that template in the reboots, especially now that it is in the interconnected MCU, but they've rebooted this twice <laughs> they, they bring in andrew garfield whose movies uh, were not well received largely because they said we we just did this this is the same movie guys just with a different spider-man they're not good andrew garfield is good in them but they're not good films they are very bad because like they're just sony trying to like i'm gonna get really big into the nerdness of it marvel sold spider-man to sony back in the 90s because marvel comics was about to close down forever people were not buying comics so they sold the rights to X-Men to Fox and Spider-Man to Marvel because those were the only Marvel characters anyone gave a shit about at the time. So it was like a way for them to be able to keep the comics going for a bit. So then Marvel starts making movies and they're like, can we have Spider-Man back, please? <laughs> and Sony's like, no, it actually says in our contract that as long as we're in production for a Spider-Man movie, we don't have to give them back to you. So they made those movies rushed as fast as they could so that they could make one before the rights went back to Marvel. And they saw how much like success Marvel was having with the crossovers. So they're like, what if we had a crossover with Spider-Man? And they're like, what do you mean we have Spider-Man characters? They're like, no, but what if we did crossover movies with Spider-Man characters? And they're like, what are you fucking talking about? Those are Spider-Man movies. They were trying to set up like a Venom movie, which they ended up making, Spider-Man movies, and then they'd like have crossover movies. And it's just like, that doesn't work, guys. They're all characters that revolve around Spider-Man. <laughs> so then like they tried it twice, both bad. And then they were like, fuck it. We'll rent Spider-Man to you, Marvel. We'll rent him to you. And Marvel was like, fine, we'll rent him. And that's why we had this other reboot. But then they're like, but ha ha ha. There's a rule that we can make however many cartoons as we want, which is how we ended up with Into the Spider-Verse. Wow. 
this this was an absolutely insane process. And as Winston, I actually love Andrew Garfield. I hated that the movies were were so disappointing because of that. And then they they bring in Tom Holland, who I feel like has done a fantastic job. But Into the Spider Verse also introduces Miles Morales as the main Spider Man, which Spider Man dies. Uh, this is obviously a, a big spoiler, but I feel like this was long enough ago. It counts uh, that in 2011 he dies in Civil War, or Peter Parker does. And Miles Morales takes over the mantle, and he really does seem to be the future of the series, but also we have Tom Holland now, who's really popular. So there's this weird juxtaposition where we're not quite sure where it's going to go, but there's also Into the Spider-Verse, which was massively popular. And I feel like everyone just agreed that Miles Morales, uh, as a Spider-Man hitter, did such a fantastic job that everyone's really looking forward to seeing more of it. And uh, then, of course, he's brought into the MCU and the massive debate that Wen mentioned that was just absolutely insane. It's like, guys, you can make so much money so easily. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what they're doing now. Like, rumors are they're going to bring in all the different Spider-Man into the live-action ones. And it's just like, you just did this in cartoons. You just, yeah. <laughs> but there's been so many different iterations of spider-man there's been three different movie series there's been cartoon movies there's been video games which i have played because once again guys i am not cool <laughs> but here's the thing for the most part other than those two movies in the middle there all of them have been good all of them have been actually like surprisingly good spider-man in movies is killing it guys Here's where it went wrong. <laughs> Maureen, tell us where it went wrong. Oh my God. It went really wrong with uh, the Spider-Man musical, Turn Off the Dark. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> For one, the title of the musical is Turn Off the Dark, which makes no, what does that fucking mean? Apparently they heard someone like a kid say it and they were like, let's have that be the title. And that's all, strike one. Yeah. <laughs> when you turn off the lights and then it's dark and then you do an additional turning off uh, <laughs> of your light situation so that's when you turn off the dark it makes sense to me and i believe it was it they it's incorporated into a song that i think correct me if i'm wrong i don't think it made it, it we'll get into this but there were two versions of the musical this long tortured process of of writing and uh, staging and doing previews and then finally debuting this musical. But I believe it was from a, uh, a song that didn't even make it into the second version. I could be wrong, but I believe that it, it is a reference in a song that did not even make the final cut. So that's a good sign. <laughs> Obviously. The craziest thing about this is that this is not the first superhero musical that Broadway's tried to do. They tried this before in 1966 with it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman. Which, why don't just call it Superman? Like, why does it have, like, this weird wind-up title? The only thing people remember the Superman musical for is they used one of the songs for a Pillsbury Doughboy commercial, and, like, that's it. Is that right? <laughs> so that's, like, the only thing it is known for, is that they used a song for one of the Pillsbury Doughboy commercials. It was not good. And for some reason... They decided to bring it back. <laughs> well, and this was when, when I were talking about this before, what was interesting was because there was this strong New York connection, uh, because he's he's worked across so many mediums, you kind of get the sense like, oh, okay, I can see why you try this, 
But also, I can't see any way where this would work. That felt like the consistent feeling throughout this. They uh, start out in 2002 approaching Bono and the Edge with the idea of doing the Spider-Man. So again, this is when the first movie comes out. Comes out as like, okay, well, I guess we got to make it a Broadway play now. Uh, <laughs> this is the next logical step. The producer uh, was this guy, Tony Adam, who I can just imagine right now sitting in the theater and the second the guy was like, you mess with Spider-Man, you mess with New York. <laughs> he was just like, bingo, that's a song right there. That's, that's a musical. People will come from miles around because they associate Spider-Man with New York and New York with Broadway. <laughs> and here's my favorite part of this is that Bono signs on as just a big fuck you to Andrew Lloyd Webber because Andrew Lloyd Webber says in an interview that he's glad no rock stars has gone into musicals. So Bono's like, all right, I guess I got to make Spider-Man now. <laughs> yeah, Bono stepped in and was like, all right, time for me to prove him right ultimately <laughs> <laughs> like, it's such an easy layup because like other than jesus christ superstar i would not consider anything andrew lloyd weber has written to be anywhere close to rock and roll at all <laughs> right <laughs> it's like this was not going to be your competition yeah he wrote school of rock but that too was not good <laughs> So they uh, grabbed Julie Taymor, who was the director of The Lion King on Broadway, which is another very high budget show. And it was complex. The puppetry in it was complex. It seems like something that would make sense. Except when you had some comment on this too. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Lion King is one of the biggest shows of all time. Third highest grossing musical of all time. Starting off on that. Complex puppets and insane effects. Like, have you have you guys seen Lion King? I mean, I've seen clips of it. I haven't seen it on Broadway yet. Okay. It, it's a fucking spectacle. It is fun as hell. And they also had like that great music to start with. Like they had the leg up that it was, they're doing the Lion King musical. So like they have already a good book and they have good songs. So like they bring in Julie Taymor, who's like, they're just like, look, just take this and put it there. That's all you need to do. Take this and put it there <laughs> the best way you possibly can. But they also had Disney who has like, insane like an iron grasp on all of their intellectual property like they will not let you fuck with disney intellectual property so every time julie Taymor came with an idea that was insane disney would say no which is important <laughs> for when you bring her on to do the spider-man musical right <laughs> so this is uh, <laughs> it ends up being incredibly important because she doesn't seem to believe in physics it feels like the base of the issue here. Like you want to put a lot of people onto high wires while singing and just kind of fling them across stage and hope that they land somewhere where no one's going to get hurt. And honestly, it was basically what Green Goblin tried to do in every single Spider-Man comic. It was spend a lot of money and almost kill Spider-Man over and over again. <laughs> Oh God, it's so interesting. I was l watching a, a, they did a 60 minutes interview and basically, yeah, like Leslie Stahl was talking to Bono and to Julie Taymor and Leslie Stahl said something to the effect of like, wow, a Spider-Man musical, like how on earth did you think that was gonna work? And fucking Julie Taymor is like, you know, when someone comes to me and they say, what a weird idea, that's a terrible idea. I love that. <laughs> It's just, you can see like where the ambition starts to like sour. And it's like, 
hmm, you need to be reined in Julie Tamar because now we have like people flying through the air and just like, I mean, you see in the clips of, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but like you see in the clips of Green Goblin and Spider-Man like flying toward each other in the theater and this like big spectacle and then they meet and they just kind of like paw at each other a little bit. <laughs> no. It's like, not, it doesn't look cool once they're actually fighting. It's just like very, and then obviously a lot of people got injured which we will get into can we back up are we saying that the director of across the universe has a lot of big ideas that are fucking insane (laughs) (laughs) no 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 hubris no hubris I will admit, I saw Across the Universe like three times in theaters. But that's- I loved Across the Universe. <laughs> I was in high school. I had to. I had a car. Yeah. And I, could da- I took like, th- I went on like three different dates to see Across the Universe. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. You must have lived near like a fancy movie theater that was showing Across the Universe. I was like, I mean, that's not, that, that's too artsy for the movie theaters that were near me when I was growing up. But yes, I did really like it. It was like so strange and and cool i don't know but like yeah across the universe an insane idea oh a completely insane idea that one she nailed she nailed across the universe it's the spider-man musical where things are bad yeah we're not talking about across <laughs> the universe that did not go wrong that went probably as well as it could have i mean anyway i couldn't see a way for it to go better <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe if any of those dates panned out, but other than that, like... there you go. <laughs> but I, I get her approach again when Stanley pitches this idea. He's told it's the worst idea they've ever heard. I get the idea of oh, I want a challenge, but also maybe some aspect of oh, here's why it's a bad idea, though. Here are all the reasons it's not going to work. So in like a sign of things to come, in 2005, Tony Adams, who's putting this whole team together, has a stroke and dies without being able to implement the entire team he wanted. So you got the guy who's like planning the whole thing, who's probably going to say, hey, Julie, don't do that. He's out of the picture immediately. By the way, this is one of my favorite things to do on, on this show is when we get one where it's just real life foreshadowing as if it was in the story we're talking about where it was like oh this is where it's clear it's all going to fall apart and you're just yelling why can't you guys see this it happened just happened so obviously foreshadowing like you have the guy who is putting the team together and he dies you like you can't do that like you can't like if if danny ocean died at the beginning (laughs) of oceans 11 (laughs) the heist would stop you would not continue on with the heist. Yeah, you have a guy who could do acrobatics, but you don't have someone who's going to tell him what to do with any of them. This is a surprisingly apt metaphor. (laughs) Yeah, no, halfway through, I got really proud of myself for this metaphor. Yeah, I mean, it's like a very natural place to be like, okay, maybe we should take a moment and like regroup a little bit or like reconsider this or like you know if if we give up on this project for the moment like no one would hold it against us because a man is dead (laughs) (laughs) they're like nope we gotta forge ahead with this we gotta gotta do it for tony i feel like it was probably just a constant statement of no spider-man would continue (laughs) and they use this as their (laughs) mantra to keep going (laughs) theater people would say that shit yeah (laughs) is not in the spirit of spider-man to give up i am now picturing theater people being like 
Hey guys, Tony would like to continue on with the show. Let's do it for Tony, everyone, and let's be our own Spider-Mans today. Tony on three. This, by the way, was the perfect storm topic for when, whereas we've discussed before, a huge comic book fan, background in musical theater, and a podcast on disasters. This could not have been better suited for this show. This is my dream episode, yeah. if I'm being completely honest. So... In 2007, five years after they start, they have their first reading. And two years after that, in 2009, they were already 25 million in debt. And the budget is expected to be $52 million. Once again, this is for a musical. <laughs> uh, which, for context, yeah, I don't know if you, I guess I didn't really, when I was researching this, I didn't really have an exact idea of like what was reasonable for a musical. But Hamilton was produced for $12.5 million. So that's like how many Hamiltons? Bye Bye Birdie costs like 50 bucks. <laughs> you can do a production of Bye Bye Birdie right now, no money, and people will think you're a genius for like having no one in costume. <laughs> that's how easy it is to entertain theater people. There's a whole version of Oklahoma where they're like, they wear regular casual clothes and they fuck. And like, that's new Oklahoma. And everyone lost their goddamn minds. We are so easy to entertain. Can you imagine like, if Hamilton costs $12.5 million, and this costs $52 million, so let me just 52 divided by 12 here. This had to be like 4.3 Hamiltons, <laughs> and nothing was going to be more than one Hamilton. Like, Hamilton's the most profitable musical of all time, and that was a single Hamilton. Wait, wait, when did Hamilton actually come out? Are we talking, are we talking off-Broadway or on-Broadway? Let's do on-Broadway. On-Broadway, I believe that was 2015. When did not need to look that up, by the way. Okay. <laughs> off Broadway was 2014 was when it was picking up all the steam. I believe it debuted very early 2015. He was on top of it. Okay. I was really hoping there was this lineup where they were released at the same time as Spider-Man realized their future. But, but no, it wasn't meant to be. But as Wen said, they're at expected 52 million. Of course, by 2010, the actual cost was 65 million and running an expense of $1 million a week. For comparison, their opening weekend, which is like the best weekend they ever had, they made $3 million, which is about the total amount of money they're gonna make. They could have done so many cabarets in Oklahoma's that fuck, they could have just done those. <laughs> Like, oh, we're taking an old musical that you're not interested in and we're putting people in lingerie in it and now it's new and people are like, this is the edgy thing that has something to say about our times. You could have produced so many of those. <laughs> yeah, I could have been like, okay, it's Spider-Man, uh, but instead of flying, he... Uh, Just kind of walks places. And uh, he wears jeans and uh, Hanes white t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> well, it speaks to the post-9-11 world. <laughs> made a, a, a trillion dollars but instead they wanted to somehow make it look like a, a, a movie uh, without the benefit of, of special effects and uh, CGI. <laughs> so to give you an idea of like how little faith they should have had in this. So they had their first reading in 2007 by 2009 they estimated the budget being 52 million. Disney bought Marvel in 2009 and like we mentioned before they had worked with Julie Taymor before. They have a thriving Broadway division. Like, it has produced so many shows based on their properties. And they were, like, given all of these things, Spider-Man is only owned as a movie by Sony. So, like, this could have been a Disney property if they wanted it as a musical. And Disney just went, no. <laughs> don't. Don't. 
we're not buying the fucking music. They have a Broadway division. It's their director. It's their director from Lion King. And they immediately just, they just said no. They didn't want it at all. They were like, we do, we want nothing to do with Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. And you know what? They're like, guess what? We're going to continue on because that's what Tony would have wanted. Honestly, it was like if your mom refused to invest in your lemonade stand. It was, they were fully lined up and it was like, here's how much we don't believe in you. <laughs> like, they were like, this merger is perfect. You have a Broadway division. You produce musicals every year. We would love some of your insight. And Disney was like, well, you're not fucking getting it. <laughs> Go hang out with Julie some more. Let hear some of her bad ideas. <laughs> so what's the cast at this point look like? The cast is fucking stacked. Andrew, <laughs> they have Evan Rachel Wood, a Julie Taymor alumni from across the universe, as Maureen knows, <laughs> and Alan Cummings. To play Green Goblin, by the way, not Spider-Man, because I first read that. And I was like, oh, he doesn't seem like it's like, oh, Green Goblin. That makes so much more sense. <laughs> I love Alan Cummings so much. So much. He's fantastic in absolutely everything. And enough that, honestly, when I saw the names, I kind of thought, oh, OK, well, if they just did it normal with these two doing whatever the fuck they wanted, like that would be good. Just, just just let him get up there and talk for a while. That could be great. I would take Alan Cumming, like, improvising a Green Goblin performance. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I would watch that, like, one-man show. Every just night. Alan Cumming <laughs> and Green Goblin. That would be fine. I don't need any, I don't need him to, like, uh, like gently, like, slap Spider-Man in the air. <laughs> I don't need to see that. Just him, like, vamping, that's fine. Um, I don't know if you guys ha saw this, but um, Alan Cumming was quoted on his decision to leave the musical, which happened after, like, not spoiler alert, he ended up not being in the musical. He left after the premiere date was, like, postponed many, many times. He said, my God, that was a lucky escape. Jesus Christ, talk about dodging a bullet there. <laughs> <laughs> and because shortly after this period, <laughs> dude, there's this intense trapeze and wire work. This was, I think, when you said the, the most stunt-heavy show of all time with constant injuries. A performer broke both feet, another one both wrists. They were fine. On the same stunt, by the way. <laughs> it was the same stunt. They had one guy go in and he broke both wrists. And then they were like, send in the next guy. And then he broke both his feet. Yes, I believe I saw that stunt described as a catapult or a slingshot type apparatus that flung the actor from uh, like all the way upstage to the lip of the stage. And they basically landed, I guess the one landed hands first and one landed feet first and they broke their bones. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, wait, is this the stunt that they use in all the trailers for it? Oh, maybe. <laughs> that is the, I bet that's the one. Like if you look up Spider-Man on Broadway, they have this whole trailer for it and it ends with him being slingshot from the back oh. of the stage to the lip of the stage. And like, wow. imagine that, but the actor immediately falling <laughs> to the ground in pain as his wrists are broken. Oh, at, at this point, being cast at Spider-Man is equivalent to being sent into the Coliseum. Like, you are not coming back okay. <laughs> also, it's not like, like oh, we were trying our best. It's just tough. They're fined $13,000 for safety violations. And again, on the same stunt. It's like, you didn't even try to fix it. <laughs> They're like, uh, maybe try leading with your feet this time. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking smashes his feet against the Honestly, stage. Honestly, they, they really just captured what is now the current movie status, which is, you know what? We got more Spider-Man. <laughs> we can keep it going. <laughs> Well, that's the kind of fucked up thing is that it was like never the it was never the actual Spider-Man 
who got injured, it was always the, the, they had like a stunt double who was doing all the like insane stunts. And it was these freaking like lifelong, like actor dancers and they're like destroying their hands and feet. There's later a stunt where that also goes wrong, which maybe we'll get to that um, made me really sad. So one of the people who played Spider-Man is actually very established. He is in Town now, Reeve Carney. He also played the love interest of Taylor Swift in the I Knew You Were Trouble video. Great resume for Reeve Carney. Yeah. <laughs> in Town, fantastic. Town is great. It was really, really good. But yeah, not fair. He should have he should have had to be uh, you know, roughed up a little bit. Is Reef Carney the the lead guy in Hadestown? Yes, he plays Orpheus. Oh hell yeah. I his weight for me is so good. I I I like him a lot. He was in a very bad musical. I know. I, we are all so lucky he got out of that unscathed. <laughs> but Maureen, can you tell us a little bit about the two stories that we had here? Because there's a massive rewrite at some point. The version that like most people came to see, the version that like officially premiered was actually the milder of these two kind of musicals that were written. The version one, which then later went into like uh, months of rewrites and revisions, it opened on like a big stunt happening. Like it opened on the Green Goblin and uh, Spider-Man like suspended and like about to like do like a big showdown. And then it picks back up with that later but it, so it opens with a huge sound like that's like the opening stage picture that we see is like already extremely involved and then later uh, in the first version there is like they really try and lean into this like greek myth aspect they like borrow have there's this character that's introduced arachne which is like from the greek myth of arachne which is like the origin myth of spiders basically like the the myth of arachne is that like there's a a weaver who was like so good at weaving and athena like punished her because she thought she was like as good at weaving as a god and then arachne like hung herself out of shame and was like banished to be a spider forever anyway it's like the greek myth of the like origin of spiders so there's this character arachne who is like the spider woman giant spider um of greek myth who in the first version is like very present and is like always kind of like talking to spider-man has like multiple songs and then at the end there's like a weird love interest thing where she's like, Spider-Man, you have to leave Mary Jane and be with me. Otherwise, like I'm going to kill Mary Jane or something. And it's like this whole, like, it's just like extremely confusing. Yeah, it, it's wild because like Julie Taymor introduces what she calls a geek chorus. And the second I heard that, I was like, fuck this. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. so mad hearing that. But like, not only that. But not a character at all in the comics. Like, there's actually a character called Madam Webb who serves the exact same function as Arachne in the second version. Where I'm just like, just use that. Just, just use, just use that. That's fine. Yeah, it's very like self-serious. I feel like in the way that it tries to like ah ah ah, but is not Spider-Man just following the grand tradition of Greek myth? Like it like has this like Greek chorus character. Yeah, it's like no, you don't need to do that. Just do Spider Man. It's fine. It doesn't have to be like scholarly. You're absolutely right, and I I love Greek mythology. Although all of the stories are basically that that same thing of a, a god gets really easily offended and then curses somebody forever. But <laughs> but you're right. I mean, this already has this huge loyal fan base, and instead they go for this this angle. It's like oh no, there's more to it. It's like there's plenty to it the way it actually is. You can just tell that story. It's like she was so embarrassed to be working on a Spider Man thing that she had to like introduce like no this is actually part of the grand tradition of heroes and gods and, like, it's just like, yeah it's a spider-man musical man <laughs> right. this is actually a tale of hubris <laughs> <laughs> 
and it's even if you want to introduce your own storyline, okay, I, I get that. But she introduces new characters, which when you were telling me about, because these were insane. And so if I could just do like a quick little thing. So in this first version that Maureen mentions, the first act is basically what the whole show will become later on. The first act is basically a retelling of the 2002 Spider-Man movie (laughs) that we all love. And then the second act, like he kills Green Goblin at the end of the first act. Like that's how they end the first act. And then the second act is this spider goddess being like, well, I'm going to bring back the Green Goblin and visions of all these other villains, including Carnage, a very famous Spider-Man villain, Craven, Electro, also very famous, the Lizard, super famous, also used in the movies, Swarm, which is a group of living bees, also <laughs> in the comics, so I'll give it to her, but it's like the most ridiculous costume I've ever seen, where it's like yellow spandex with like poles of bees coming off of it. Yeah, it's like Yo-Yo Gabba. Yeah, and then they're like, and also Swiss Miss, and it's just like, who the fuck is Swiss Miss? Like, apparently Julie Taymor, like, made up a villain and just, like, put it in there, and it's just like, you can't just, like, do, like, it's just, it's like a really random thing to just add in there, because you already have, like, your Arachne character, like, be happy with that. And, like, also, if you're gonna add in a new bad guy, have them do something other than get killed in, like, 20 minutes, which is what happened. Like, she lasts for one song, you did not have to make up a new villain. It made me so like every now and then I talk about Swiss Miss and I get so mad. I get so I get so mad. I get so fucking goddamn mad about Swiss Miss. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck. You. Okay, I'm done. But I believe if this makes you feel better, which it won't, that in the in the musical Swiss Miss is devised by one of the members of this Greek chorus that keeps stepping in throughout the musical to like sort of needlessly complicate things. Like I think at one point they come out and they're like, ah, but did Spider Man step in the path of a of the spider? that bit him or was it fate or was he chosen to be bit it's like a totally fucking non like completely irrelevant question that's just there to like philosophize for no reason also what's the difference between it being fate and him being in the path and the spider choosing him like aren't those like all like kind of the same like (laughs) those are all the same ideas those are all the same like she added dvd commentary to her own fucking musical yeah it's so strange i feel like it was one of those things where she was trying to harken back to this greek tradition of the narrator except none of it needed narration so then he just kind of popped out and was like explaining the thing that we just saw. We just saw this. It's like, well, the audience isn't going to know that they should be thinking. So we're going to do like a group <laughs> prompt uh, to make sure that we like have some internal discussion here. Like every six-year-old in the audience knows who Spider-Man is. You do not have to explain <laughs> to anyone in the audience Who is Spider-Man? Yes, and furthermore, it's probably, yeah, like the biggest miscalculation of what the audience would end up caring about ultimately by the time they're actually like putting real butts in seats because people come just to see it be like a disaster and see if maybe someone will get injured. No one is going for like, philosophical thought or like the grand tradition of like Greek storytelling people are like hoping to see a circus disaster basically as Green Goblin says in the Letterman performance of (laughs) (laughs) first can we discuss the naming of Swiss Miss here because I absolutely feel like it's one of those things where she saw it and forgot that she saw it on a hot chocolate packet (laughs) and thought she came up with the name herself (laughs) yeah I love 
to the sound of that swiftness. Yeah. <laughs> How delightfully devious. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's absolutely insane. And like this is a musical where people are coming from Omaha just to watch somebody else who moved from Omaha to become a dancer die in a terrible accident. <laughs> like, that's all this was. This is all it's for. It's all it ever existed for. You do not have to tell me it's part of the grand tradition and you definitely don't have to introduce Swiss Miss to it. Is it ever clarified like what Swiss Miss's like power is? She has a bunch of knives on her dress and that's it. <laughs> oh, of course. Wait, was it supposed to be like a Swiss Swiss army knife tie? Oh, <laughs> yes. Maybe. Oh my okay. God. That makes more sense. <laughs> Does it though? Even if you're like, I want one of the Sinister Six to be a woman, you have so many Spider-Man bad guys to do for that. Also, why are you using Carnage as one of the Sinister Six? He's an offshoot of Venom. Use Venom. That's a well-known <laughs> bad guy. Also, why are you saying Craven loves animals maybe a little too much? Are you implying that he fucks the animals? That's a lyric <laughs> in one of your songs. Why did you say it? Why did you say it? I don't understand. Uh, I make myself so mad talking about this. <laughs> I know. I, I'm, I'm enjoying this so much. Throughout all of these, we already discussed some of the injuries, but we also have Natalie Mendoza, the original Arachne. She suffered a concussion, hit it. She got severely ill from it, had to take off. When she returned, she saw a stunt double get severely injured and she quit. So apparently in a December preview, a safety cord was not connected properly. And so somebody's jumping from the <laughs> fucking ceiling down to the stage with no safety cord and just went right through the fucking orchestra pit. Oh, this person was sent to the hospital, obviously, and they had to go to the, like, onto the, the intercom and tell everyone to just leave. They had to just be like, <laughs> yeah. go home. Because we just had a guy jump from the ceiling from this giant theater and just land onto a trombone and get <laughs> severely injured. It is like the most cartoonish, awful injury that you could sustain. You picture the trombone sound. And it's like, okay. <laughs> I know this isn't funny, but, and also like, I, I don't want to, but I can do stand up with a broken leg. You know, if I, my ankle doesn't heal right, I can still do my job. These people's jobs depend on clear, precise movement. And they're like, you know what? Maybe we just chuck them through the air and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Also, it's kind of crazy to think about like, so when I think was this was a spider, a, spy, a Spider-Man uh, stunt double who was injured in this way, like, it probably, oh God, imagine if you think that the safety cord is connected, he probably like jump and dove. Like it probably oh, wasn't, it wasn't like he like was like, whoa, and like fell. He probably was like, and here I go. And then fucking fell straight, jumped and fell straight into the orchestra pit. That's so awful. I gotta say though, how majestic was that fall <laughs> until he landed in the orchestra pit? Oh, oh my God. God. And then- what happened in 2013? Uh, so in 2013, there was another, another, yeah, stunt double, lifelong dancer guy, full of dreams. Basically, <laughs> there was like a platform, like a hydraulic platform that um, would like, he would, the, in the, uh, there was like an interview, I think in the New York Times with this guy. And it was like, I've done, I did the stunt a million times. And then it was like a hydraulic platform that would like, you would stand on it and it would like shoot you up into the air. 
And it was really just like a, a, a very fast, like change in, in altitude. It wasn't like he was like flying or anything, but he was like on this platform that would like shoot up into the air. And of course there was a fucking OSHA violation that resulted in there not being like a guard around the thing so that basically you wouldn't get your feet pinned in this platform and have them crushed. And so that's what happened is that this fucking dancer got his his feet like crushed in this hydraulic platform and I wrote down the end the last sentence of this story because it's so horrible and he said asked if he thought he would ever dance again Mr. Curry took a long pause I don't know he whispered no no Oh, that just broke my heart. I know. I was willing to enjoy it when it was like, oh, they got a little hurt. I mean, I'm obviously I feel bad about that, but it was like there's context here that makes it amusing. But yeah, this really hurt people. This was this was their livelihood. This was their career. And the damage it did, honestly, I shouldn't feel okay laughing at any level of injury, <laughs> but at the like, oh, this was uncomfortable and, and a mistake was made. But no, this the destruction of this was insane enough so that when you consider that, yeah, they were fined so much for safety violations, it was just, are you not taking care of your people at all? Are you not going to put in any effort here to give them a career after this? The damage was insane. Right. And this is a show that cost a million dollars a week to put up right yeah. like and th- what like all there's they're just like all right uh, don't step over there because like if you step on that thing weird it might crush your feet forever like there is like what where was like the money being spent on like safe basic safety precautions it's just unless maybe they were like factoring in like a, a hefty osha fine for every week like and that was just like part of the million dollars yeah part of the million dollars was lawsuits <laughs> like um, <laughs> imagine you were in guys and dolls and they said by the way we put some landmines out there so just be aware luck be a lady am i right <laughs> my hands are up in victory yeah that, that was joke. all right i'm gonna give you all the points on that one that was good good job Lynn. <laughs> thank you i'm very proud of myself as i always am but this, this first version came out and audiences gave it a rousing F minus as an audience score. And they were like, oh no, we made a bad show. This show is very bad. So like, they actually went to Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, who uh, was a playwright and goddammit wrote Spider-Man comics like you should have done in the first place. Why was he not the first person you went to? <laughs> like, they seriously should have just gone like, hey, Dan Slott, who is like the current Spider-Man god in comics. They should have gone to him. They should have gone to the people who actually write Spider-Man comics. And he took it and was just like, okay, I could do something with this. And like, okay, but by the way, a few things you have to include. The Sinister Six, because we already built the costumes. <laughs> and Green Goblin has to get webbed onto a piano and get stuck to it and fall off the Chrysler building. And imagine being given those two parameters. <laughs> like, you have to include Swiss Miss, and at some point, Green Goblin has to die in a terrible piano accident. <laughs> And it's just like, yeah, I can incorporate that last one. I saw a guy almost die on a tr- like on a trombone in the orchestra. <laughs> figure that out. Those are like the two big parameters. And his basic thing was like, okay, here's the 2002 Spider-Man film, but with the Sinister Six added. And at the end, instead of getting impaled on his glider, he gets webbed to a piano and dies. And that's it. 
<laughs> like, just make the 2002 movie. It's what Tony wanted. Yes. It's what Tony wanted. <laughs> it's what Tony wanted. He went in there and saw, you mess with Spider-Man, you mess with New York. And he was like, that's what I want to put on Broadway. And that's exactly what they ended up with after so many fucking injuries later. And uh, like the most incomprehensible first version that you could imagine. And guess what that got? Arousing C plus audience score. Which is a big improvement. It is. It's amazing that level of improvement. It was like, God, I mean, I can't imagine having to be brought in on that project at that point and being like, can you do anything here? Also, I cannot stop picturing every cast member from like those dramatic scenes where someone steps off the bus and thinks they're going to make it in New York and then is hit by the harsh reality of the world. (laughs) But every one of them ends up in Spider-Man instead of can't get a job and works at a cafe or something. (laughs) It would have been so much better for all of them to end up in pornography. (laughs) Those people actually take the violations and the health of their performers seriously. They do. (laughs) The, The show closed in January of 2014 and by the way, they're talking about a North American tour, arena tour, a Las Vegas move. By the way, this is also set up for one specific stage in New York because this is insane to do this. Other places will not be easy. So it's like, no, we're going to go on an arena tour. And then into Las Vegas, we're just going to move there and leave New York because obviously this didn't work. And we got to get out of town before we're sued. Can I just say, those things make sense. It, it would be tough, but it was like, okay, I get this makes sense. But also you're $60 million in debt. No, $60 million in debt is why you do the arena tour in the Las Vegas production. <laughs> I mean, I get it, except that's a big bet. These guys have not shown themselves to be able to make money on this. I think at this point, in, I mean, I, you're right. But it's just who would invest at this point? Who's going to take that shot? <laughs> yeah, I mean, even the pull of like, like from an audience perspective, like even the pull of like, maybe seeing someone like get injured is like even that gets old and like people just like <laughs> like it takes longer than it should by the way to get old but it does eventually yeah like i i understand it's just like we're gonna do a disney on ice kind of thing and go in arenas around the country like that makes sense or like hey this is basically a cirque show let's just do it in vegas along with all the other cirque shows like have it just be purely a spectacle and not a like, had the prestige of Broadway. I think I thought they had to stick to the original plan. But no, you're right. The music is not good. We haven't really talked about that, but the music sucks. The music's very bad. The music is so bad. It would have been so much better, as you said, when as just, like, a, a Cirque thing. Like, they should not... Yeah, the music is bad. Actually, I'm back on board with this as a Cirque thing. I didn't even consider that. I thought they had to do the play in the arenas. I couldn't figure out why they were doing that. As a Cirque thing, this could be good. You get some acrobats that know what they're doing here and stop, don't make them sing these terrible songs while they do it. Exactly. I would have seen that. Guys, if you're listening, get a chance. Look up a freak like Meads Needs company that they did on Letterman. It's a, it's like their preview that they did where Green Goblin comes out. Green Goblin, this, by the way, looks like he's in Kiss. Looks yeah. like they put a green filter <laughs> over Gene Simmons. And it's played pretty much the same way, if I had to say it. Like, he comes out there, and not only that, the song is weirdly pro-New York. Like, it's just like, <laughs> all the freaks are out here in New York, baby! Yeah! <laughs> yeah, it's like, it, I guess in that way, they are kind of catering to those, like, Omaha audiences, because they're like, New York is full of freaks, and we're evil! Like, it's like, it's so, it's like, yeah, weirdly, like, painting New York as this kind of, like, come one, come all, like cool kind of like festival of delights of weirdos and like everybody's welcome it's so cool and like it's like exactly the type of thing that would that would terrify me if i I was from like a small town yeah (laughs) they're all smoking jazz cigarettes and talking about (laughs) world domination yeah but like green guy but it is very it is very weird he's like 
so it's it's kind of like nice like the song is not very sinister at all it's just kind of like a fun kind of upbeat like a freak like me needs company and like he like introduces all his friends it's like nice it's like watching sesame street (laughs) (laughs) it's insane and the guy is giving it his fucking all while also knowing he's in spider-man the musical it's like none of these people phoned it in they did their best but what do you have here (laughs) yeah these are professionals and the green goblin even when as you mentioned earlier takes a moment to call out do a little meta moment and there's a line in the song where he says, Green Goblin, for some reason, I don't know why he's saying this in, like, in the context of the show, but he calls himself a $65 million circus tragedy. And he says that line in the Slutterman performance and, and then and then as kind of an aside goes, actually more like 75 million, like seemingly self-referential <laughs> uh, to the show itself, which is, yeah, a $75 million God. Circus tragedy. Oh man. I mean <laughs> I I guess I see going for it at this point. It's like, yeah, I mean, we know what we're doing. Although obviously it was planned, but I do kind of wish he was just done and threw that in and everyone was like, oh fuck, now we gotta yeah. deal with this. <laughs> One thing that also stood out to me about that performance is that so they like do the whole thing, he introduces all the freaks, <laughs> and they have like the freaks have these like kind of you know really big costumes some of like there's one that's like basically like half an inflatable oh god an inflatable dinosaur i don't know yeah the lizard it's weird yeah the lizard yes and um they're all these insanely elaborate costumes that look nothing like there's a human inside and then the actors inside those costumes could not take their like heads off fast enough when they're done with the song (laughs) they're like it's like they immediately are like okay done with that i don't want to like be uh, doing this anymore which is interesting because sort of seems like they're like okay this is like fucking stupid i'm taking off my halloween costume now but like also they're like here's who i am here's the human who's doing this this (laughs) weird show take a good look this is the person behind the mask it's just like they all like rip their masks off right when David Letterman is coming by and is like, he like weirdly walks through the crowd of dancers and singers is like, good to see ya, good to see ya. And it's like weird <laughs> David Letterman way. Yeah, that David Letterman way of just like, I didn't get this. This yeah. is very odd. <laughs> I did not enjoy it. <laughs> so we have shit on this for about an hour now, uh, which brings us to our next segment, In Their Defense, where one of us has to defend this completely indefensible thing. Does any of us want to take it or do I have to, or or am I going to take it on this one time? I feel like I could. I feel like I could. There is, there are things to be said, but I don't want to hog the. No, no, it's all yours. No, you're the guest, please. (laughs) Okay. Well, I would say that musicals, right? We love them. And I think one of, one of the most appealing and, you know, admirable parts of musicals is that they're tasked with really making tangible and very, like, visible some of the most, like, intangible elements of storytelling. And so I think it would have been a little bit hard to capture the same, like, Spider-Man-ness of Spider-Man if they had done the, like, like we mentioned before, the, like, Oklahoma route of being, like, we're gonna, they're gonna be in jeans, and it's, like, a choice, and, and it's, because, like, you don't watch you frankly don't watch Spider-Man for like the philosophical, like deeper meanings. You don't really watch Spider-Man for like, maybe I'm overstepping, but you don't really watch it for the storytelling as much as you watch it for like those thrilling moments of action and of like, uh, of heroism. 
And definitely those are like backed up and bolstered by character development. But like you're watching Spider-Man to see a guy fly through the air and save his girlfriend, That, in my opinion. And so you're not going to get that unless you really have a guy flying through the air. It's just like you're like whatever avant-garde interpretation of Spider-Man is just not going to scratch the itch, I don't think. So Julie Taymor did her best. And I think um, that she should she should get a pat on the back for doing her best and and trying to have a guy fly through the air. Also, onset injuries happen in other musicals. Like it, Idina Menzel broke a rib falling through a trapdoor in Wicked one time. So you up the level of stunts, you up the amount of stunts, there are going to be, you know, more injuries. And Osha is uptight and corrupt and they, <laughs> they should just leave the show alone uh, that's all i have <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna be honest i that was that was actually really solid i did not expect that because you're right if that would like if you're gonna make spider-man a musical there is no other way to do it other than to put so many stunts and high wires in there or otherwise you're don't do it so at least they committed to the bit <laughs> also i get wanting to do it I, I don't know how you could do it like that, but honestly, you're told, look, we, as we said jokingly earlier, you're based in New York. This is the hero of New York. You've got a massive fan base here. You've got him currently blowing up on the scene. This is the character of the moment. I get wanting to make it. It's just so much went wrong and so much got out of control. And uh, instead of kind of pulling it in, they just kept pushing harder. So we, we see why it missed. But also, honestly, if someone said, look, I'm going to give you $75 million, go make a Spider-Man musical, I would try to make a Spider-Man musical. And you know what? I think it all comes down to this. It's what Tony would have wanted. <laughs> it's what Tony would have wanted. It really is. They did it for Tony. They did it for Tony. <laughs> they did it for Tony, guys. <laughs> I actually forgot about this. This maybe would be something we could go out on as there, so I don't know, obviously, everybody knows maybe by now that it was it was critically a disaster. It was like panned by everybody, except Glenn Beck, who fucking loved it. <laughs> and he, he left one of the most, he said one of the most glowing reviews of it that I've heard of about like anything. And that was, this is the best show I've ever seen, bar none. <laughs> Head and shoulders above anything else. This is better than Wicked. And after you couldn't get a ticket to Spider-Man and you've offered a kidney for it, go see Wicked. I mean, you've got two kidneys. Don't give up both kidneys. He does a lot of like stuff about giving up your kidney to go see uh, Spider-Man. <laughs> he says, this is one of those shows. This is the Phantom of the 21st Century, Phantom of the Opera. This is history of Broadway being made. I sat next to the casting director by chance and I said, you, sir, are part of history. And then you have, it's a comic book character and too much action and flying around and they're trying to cheapen the theater by spending $50 million. So you have all the snotty stuff that regular Americans don't understand. But so he goes on and does this thing where he's like, yeah, whatever, like critics hate this, but like this is like the real shit. Like this is an amazing piece of history. I was expecting like a pull quote of this was a great show. Like he defended this. He put it all on the line for Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't just like I had a great afternoon. And Glenn Beck is like, no, this is my religion now. Yeah, he like <laughs> gets angry at the thought of people not liking it in the way that like people like him do. Or like imagine this thing where they're like, they think I'm an idiot for liking this, but I'm not. I'm smart and very idiot. <laughs> well, like, Glenn Beck's in the audience just furious, just like the coastal liberal elite hating, <laughs> hating fly-by America and their love for watching dancers get mangled during Spider-Man. <laughs> oh, God, that is absolutely amazing. What an incredible way 
to end an episode with a poll quote from Glenn Beck. I can honestly <laughs> say we haven't done it before, but it might be how we end all of our episodes from here on out. <laughs> We covered so much here. Spider-Man itself obviously has a fantastic history and is the beloved character that we all really loved. Uh, we love what they did in the comic books, in the movies, the video games as well. Whether you grew up with him or just watched and were aware of the character one month ago. Right. That's all it takes <laughs> to get into it. And which is so cool about the character. You only have to hear about him a month ago to be able like, oh, OK, well, this is my thing Man? now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't think it was possible. I thought there were spiders and then there were men. Never did I think they could combine into a single being. But now I know. One quick comic nerds thing. There is a, you know, in the Spider-Verse, they have all the different versions of Spider-Man. In the comics, there is one of them where Spider-Man fell into a tank of radioactive spiders that ate him and then assumed his intelligence and all work together as one single being that put on a Spider-Man that believes it's Peter Parker and calls himself Spider's Man. <laughs> that is insane. That that's insane. <laughs> I draw the line there. I draw like, the line. <laughs> no limits. <I> just... <laughs> all right, uh, Maureen. Thank you so much for coming on. Wow, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Oh, this was such a good time. I got to like watch clips of the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and also, it's just great being able to riff with you. It, it was some of my favorite uh, times moving to Chicago, sitting in that box office at Second City. And riffing with you is one of my uh, favorite things. So this is it's great to have you on and relive those moments. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, at the end of the day, a freak like me needs company. <laughs> yeah, so thank you. Thank you guys for for, for uh, letting me be your company. It was absolutely our pleasure. <laughs> and thank you. beautiful. <laughs> thank you. It was a solid wrap-up. Yeah, we should acknowledge that. That was a great wrap-up. <laughs> uh, thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please subscribe. Give us five stars. It helps us out so much. Uh, we will be back next week. We hope you'll join us. I'll see you next week, Gwen. Bye. Bye. <laughs>